0: Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we're sitting in Vale, Colorado, with Stephen Lee's. You may recognize his last name as part of the L in HLB Lighting Design. Steven is a fellow of the ILD, and he is one of the many who helped lead HLB to its current position in the industry. He is also one of the first few people that ever walked in the doors, and has recently, officially, departed as an active member of the firm, but will always remain involved in the lighting industry. He's also a two-time Lifetime Achievement Award recipient, once from the ILD, and a second on the way from the Edison Report. Steven, welcome to the podcast. How are you I'm doing great. We've had the opportunity to sit here and catch up in part one and part two to talk a little bit more about uh, your perspective on the industry, how it's important to have a team, how change is good, how lighting is very much a part of the construction industry, uh, even though we call it lighting design, it's lighting construction. <laughs> very, very <much. laughs> well, so, okay. And I think the only question that really remains is, well, we know who you are and what you think. But how'd you do it? You spent four decades building a culture, building a team, inspiring almost a thousand people that have come through your doors, some of which have gone on, some of which have have always remained. You found life partners through all of this. And there is such a unique story behind that. One that is inspiring. Let's unpack it. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about it. 1976. Oh, by the numbers. Let's go straight from the beginning. (laughs) That first year is uh, February 7th February yeah yeah, yeah. February 9th. February, good. February 9th yeah. 1976 what happened that day
1: I reported to work Woo-hoo! <laughs>
0: yeah. Um what were you wearing? Were you wearing a suit, a tie, a jacket, slacks? Lord knows.
1: 1976. I was probably wearing a dress shirt and, uh, and slacks.
0: Remind me, every decade I'll ask you what you wore mm, to wear. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're going
1: to have to ask me how my hair
0: changed, too. Okay. <laughs> so you reported to work. Uh, you would just been hired. Mm-hmm. You had departed from the theater. And there was a little bit going on in the world of architectural lighting. Talk to me about that.
1: And there was some learning. I had to do... To transition into architectural lighting, and an element where the fixture puts in and you don't get to move it the day before the show opens. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it was it was a pretty simple. Got a good introduction. I was immediately put to work. Usually, probably the same. Piece of work that every new employee gets is to clean out the closet that has collected as many extra light bulbs as as possible and you a heap of fixtures in the corner of samples and things that either need to get thrown out or given back to the reps and and that was my first real assignment and but I loved it because you know these were not theatrical lighting elements at all. And and I was given the time to turn them on and play with them and get to understand the world of architectural lighting fixtures and
0: sources. You came from a theatrical background and you had an opportunity to, I won't say ad hoc, but yeah, maybe more liberally place light in a space in terms of where it was coming from in order to achieve a desired effect. We talked a little bit in the first part of our conversations here about how in architectural lighting, there was a little bit less intensified drama but always an opportunity to curate or create that space with light in your first years what was it like to truly absorb that and see a similar passion come to life in a different form for you
1: well the first big reality was that lighting for the most part in architecture was static uh, as opposed to the theater where it was almost never static (laughs) All right, and the transition also, you know, again, was was about having to understand to do all that predictive, much more calculation-heavy uh, work ahead of time to know what you're putting on the drawings and the specification is actually going to work when somebody else builds it, and you're not going to be around when it happens. Um, that was the biggest shift. Um, I wasn't putting my hands. Uh, on what was, as it was being built and saying,
0: could you move it that way like about two feet? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, by the way we gotta have that ready in ten minutes because the door's about to open. That is arguably the biggest difference in the business Mm -hmm. of theatrical lighting versus architectural lighting you had an opportunity to transition into the space uh, learn a little bit about the fundamental differences of what it means to coordinate place and then ultimately see the project as something that lives for a very long time as opposed to a short amount of time i know that you saw some opportunities early on to take what was predominantly creative opportunities and really start to build a business around that. What was that first epiphany, or maybe just I should ask moment like where you sat down and realized that?
1: It was an epiphany. After I cleaned out the closet and played with all that stuff, I went to the drafting boards and started doing designing and and drafting. And fortunately, the specifications were were easy because I could just write it down and then we had somebody type the specification on an IBM Selectric, which, you know, all pre-computer, pre-fax machines, pre, you know, I had a HP calculator and that was the most sophisticated he got Um, and of course watched the evolution of lighting calculations and all that kind of stuff through the way. But but I, I observed, and again, this is Jules Horton's firm, and he was an incredible salesman. He could charm anyone. And he had these business development processes that he would go through all the time. So he could get the work, establish the clients, keep them loyal. He could do the lighting design work, although he really didn't do a lot of that. He... We designed the work and sat down and told him what we thought was right. And he just critiqued it and and offered suggestions, not just about the lighting, but how we might go about solving some of the problems. So he, he was a mentor. I mean, he was my first real mentor. And I started noticing every Christmas that the bonus checks were written out of his personal account. And I know he was not taking money out of the, he was just getting a wage, a salary, the same as everybody else. And I said to myself, that's not the way it's supposed to work. There's got to be a better way to run this firm where the owner doesn't have to take money out of their personal checking accounts to, to pay bonuses at the end of the year. And thats that was the epiphany. It's like, there's got to be. So I started doing some thinking and talking to some other people uh, that I knew. And there was no internet, so I couldn't pull down YouTube and get any how-tos on how to start a business kind of thing. I found some classes up in Columbia and started taking some classes up in Columbia. Um, There was other places. So I was trying to learn. Learn like the
0: basics of business, and when you say the basics of business, I mean like accounting, balancing a checkbook. What what was it? Yeah,
1: finance, an annual report. You know, what's a, a balance sheet, you know, income statement, uh, cash flow statements. You know, that kind of stuff through HR, through operations. Uh, you know, like I said, finance, and then what was going to rear his head uh, i didn't have to do that it was it you know which you know <laughs> there was no it back then <laughs>
0: no it in the 80s folks. no no
1: um so at least i was spared that i started doing doing all that and i started forming the idea uh, as i had mentioned previously of creating essentially an atelier kind of environment for lighting designers who don't know how to run a business, I don't care about running a business, and they just want to be lighting designers, creating an environment where they could do that, but it's in the structure that is going to make sure that financially this it's, it's a success. I mean, I basically, then this is the, the, when you first start school at RISD, and I know because my daughter went to RISD, the first thing they tell you is, we do not believe in starving artists. So I said, you know, why should the creative industry starve? You know, just because we have so much passion that we'll work in the, in some, until midnight or two o'clock in the morning for free, which is theater. Um, <laughs> which is a lot of things in the creative world. <laughs> There's got to be a better way to do that. And um, so at 1983, I guess, so it means I would have been there for all of six or seven years. I thought I was pretty much a hot shot. I knew enough about project management and lighting and design and calculations and that I could spread my wings. And so I uh, had a conversation with Jules and I said, look, I said, I'm at this place where I want to grow. And I appreciate everything you've done for me. But, um, and I'd love to grow in the firm here. Uh, and uh, I have some ideas. I noticed, you know, I explained to him about the business things that i saw and what i had learned and what i thought i could bring to the firm because it's if you're going to step up you have to bring something to to the firm i said oh, or i could take that knowledge and i could go try shop it out somewhere else and it took him a day the next day he said okay he said um i'll sell you half the firm the and next day the next day
0: and i go oh You were you were not ready. You were not ready to to sit back down where you had just stood up from. No, you had you had said, "I got this. I'm gonna do it." And all of a sudden, if we fast forward to today, you made a great decision. But at the time, it was shaking in the boots. Shaking in the boots. Did you get a day to respond? No, he gave me, I said, I
1: need a little time to think about this. And that's when I started talking to other people that in the industry, not just the lighting industry, matter of fact, I don't think there are any in the lighting industry, but people who, who owned rep agencies who clearly had a, though a different business model had a real business sense. And one that I have to credit, Joel Siegel, who has been in that Price for a long time. And I think is, is he getting a... Uh, lifetime Achievement Award. I'm not sure he should. I'll nominate him. But I had a nice long lunch with him, and he he says, "Well, it couldn't hurt to give it a try."
0: <laughs> and that's been my that motto is, ever since. That is good advice. Yeah, it couldn't hurt to try. Yeah, right.
1: And and I and you know, I knew myself. I always would rise to any challenge or, or, or that I'd have. And
0: uh, so we did it. So 1983, you bought into the firm, and you actually bought half of it. Right. 50 50 it was split right you guys own the firm and there are a few other employees that had come on board that become more important and more critical this step i know barbara had joined in 1979 and was also there helping you tell me a little bit about how that greater dynamic started to grow and build even more owners at the company
1: Yeah, she started in, in 79 and you know, started off like I started off and doing design work and all that kind of stuff. And she had the same, first of all, I'd have to disclose that she was Jules' girlfriend at that time and became his wife. Uh, this is starting to sound like Peyton Place. And so she was very intimately understood how he was running the business from his side and his perspective and his talents. But she was also very aware of what I was aware of and like the thoughts that I had.
0: And when you say aware of what you were aware of, the thoughts you had, what was that? Well, you
1: know, the Christmas check thing, the taking out loans, various ways things are processed in the firm. So you had an ally. Yes, I, I, I had an ally. And um, she started wanting to do more. You know, Barbara, I mean, she's not shy, but she's thoughtful. And we, I wouldn't want to say we started plotting, but she wanted to have more control. Jules at that point would have been 70-ish years old. So it was clear that he was going to have to be transitioning out at some point. We put our heads together and um, talked to Jules about transition and bringing Barbara on board as an owner. And I I made it a little difficult for her, I have to say, um, because she came to me and saying she wanted to have some ownership. And I put up some resistance and I said, well, look, if you want to be an owner, knock down the door. Literally said that. And, you know, you give Barbara a challenge and step aside because it's it's going to happen. And so she stepped it up and she started bringing things to the table. In hindsight, I mean, I realize this a long time ago, we did. You know, if you were to ask me the question now, Stephen, what ultimately was the basic ingredient that launched hlb and made it a success
0: stephen what was the basic ingredient (laughs) that ultimately launched hlb and made it a success gee let me think about that for a while (laughs) Uh,
1: um barbara and i are complementary in so many ways she's got talents and skills where i don't have talents and skills and vice versa we went off and did a Briggs myers test back then the Understand who we were and what we were. E and T J. Yeah, I mean, T J. Yeah. Right, right. You've heard that story, huh? <laughs> so, and she was the extrovert. I was the introvert. Actually, just recently, because we're going through a obviously a retirement transition in life, it's like okay, so let's make sure what we are, what our what our path is. We I encouraged her, and, and we both did the Enneagram yeah. test. Yeah. Fascinating, nine personality types. How'd you do? I'm a five okay. and she's a seven. So, what is the five? The five basically is the thinker. I don't do anything until I study and think, and even my emotions I process through my brain, right? <laughs> and Barbara, uh, seven, the enthusiast, you know, the cheerleader, the enthusiast, the impulse, uh, the extro. So, she did sales, BD, marketing. And ultimately decided she should be the president, even though she came in after I because leader. Mm-hmm. She she was a face a, first a natural first. face leader mm-hmm. for the firm to get that culture together to get everybody inspired and all that kind of stuff. She, those talents she has. I can do it on small levels, but I can't do it all the time, and it exhausts me. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, you know, and she come up with a great idea. You know, da hmm, wait a minute, wait a minute. She goes, what do you mean, I think we should study this and think about it for a little while. And then, so I would often, and she'd say, well, okay. And we soon found out that that was really, you know, we, and we'd bounce ideas off each other. So it was that combination of skill sets and personality and qualities that really was the beginning of that fission reaction. And that I think started attracting other people because we started hiring some consultants, business consultants, and putting together the plan. I mean, we are retired. You know, me a year ago, Barbara, but at the end of this year, that transition plan we started in
0: 1999. Now we're going to get to 99. Oh, okay. I'm jumping ahead of myself. But you're jumping ahead of yourself. Yeah, okay. So in 87, Barbara becomes an owner. In 87, yes. You and Barbara have this incredible relationship in the working environment where ideas can come more organically and then out of thought. And you understand how to work together to legitimize them or maybe say that maybe that's not the best one and we should think about it this way or continue to pivot forward.
1: Or say we need somebody else
0: to help us on this. Or you need somebody else to help you with it. Exactly. Jules, let's buy into the firm at this point there's the three of you that own the firm mm-hmm. fast forward just a few years there's more people that are coming on board the firm is growing you're having some success what was it like to take that synergy and put more momentum behind it
1: well first of all um jules completed all of his sales of, of shares to Barbara in 1990 so it was three years later so from 1990 on Barbara and I were were the two owners of the firm.
0: So Jules sells Barbara all the shares in 90. And you have this synergy. You have this ability to work with each other. You understand each other's predominant strengths as opposed to where one strength can support the other in in the form of a potential weakness. Mm -hmm. And in 91, somebody named Teal joins the firm. And at that point is just another a team member, a designer, but Teal ultimately became the B of HLB in 99. What was it like for you and Barbara to find Teal and others and maybe take a page out of the book from the gentleman that had hired you both and learn about what it meant to invest in your people?
1: First of all, it was to empower them and again, create that environment where they didn't have to worry about the other stuff and they could just go right for it. So we've always been an open firm and so that there was no kind of change we had to make in, in, in order to bring somebody on board and, and mentor them. Proposals were open, fees were open. We had worked together, I know Teal worked a lot on helping to put together some of our first sort of standard proposals the scope of services etc
0: on them and when you say open you mean that you shared that with everybody that was a part of your team yes yeah yeah absolutely why was it so important to do that
1: well you know it's interesting you ask that question because i i can't say that i had you know we're gonna be a billion dollar firm in in 20 years or something like that and i'm not sure that i even needed to be a big firm. I wanted it to be a financially successful firm so that that would support some really great innovative lighting design talent and, and and projects. That was really my goal. I want to build that environment that is just that perfect place for
0: lighting design to happen.
1: Really great lighting design to happen.
0: You had a purpose. You built a brand and developed a culture. So in 99, Till becomes the bee. How many people were working at HLB at at that point, and why did you decide that it was time to have that third person in the ownership circle? At that time, uh, we had a San Francisco office,
1: which was our first outside of New York office. And we had already started thinking expansion geographically back then, especially pre-Zoom. Pre-World Wide Web. (laughs) (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. In order to really cultivate a client and keep doing work with them you need to be at their doorstep you need to when they say come over to the office we need to talk about this you needed to do that and Jules had really opened up the San Francisco office by doing a lot of marketing and he was in the process of opening the San Francisco office he was spending 10 days a month in San Francisco and and LA doing that marketing and quite frankly from a business perspective, because he was, he was still doing the primary sales in, in New York, the New York sales suffered a little bit. I mean, overall, we grew. Um, but, you know, we, that's when we learned, you know, if you move somebody out of here and have them do something else then that, whatever they're moved out of, is, is, is something's going to happen to that, whatever it is. We had the idea of expansion and there were only, Jules was not going to be in the business much longer. There are only the two of us. So we knew we had to get some great people in to do that expansion so that we could service more clients and do more great work. Because there were some in and out in California, between San Francisco and LA, there were some incredible architects. There still are. And that we just
0: you know, wanted to be part of that work. And this is in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. Mid-90s,
1: yeah, you're, you're mm-hmm. starting yeah, in 2000s, right?
0: There's a lot going on on the West Coast mm-hmm. in, oh, yeah. in this time and point.
1: But Teal, and Teal moved out to our San Francisco office. She started in New York in 91. And I believe she was out in San Francisco within two or three years, if even that long. And she was in San Francisco uh, where we, we did have a, a principal there. Um, who was not an owner at the time, but she actually wasn't a principal, but she was leading the office out there. And um, this is pre-99. And um, Teal was just drawn to LA. She was also drawn to creating her own nest or vision or office. And um, so it was logical. And she suggested, well, how about I open an LA office and go, what? And it was the kind of environment where she could say that right uh-huh and she was the kind of person that could say it and you know and then we had that discussion barbara and i talked we talked the three of and and we said well good idea and then you know again it was sort of my same attitude well knock the door down tell us how that would happen and instead of us designing barbara and myself designing what how that should happen she says, so teal put together a plan shows how that would happen so she owns it right and that's you know one of our basic things every time we open up a new office there's a business plan and the, the person who's proposed opening it puts that business plan together.
0: And when they open it, it's theirs. You're obviously there to support them, and they're
1: well. They're part of the HL. They're part of HLB. But yeah. it's it's they they feel the ownership, and you know, uh, uh, there's a, a plan everybody's agreed to, and and plans. Never happen the way you put them together. That's not the purpose of plan. The plan is to have a marker. So, and if you're on this side or that side of the marker, and you're not doing exactly, then you understand that, and you can ju- adjust other things so that, from a business perspective, you're still financially successful. Sometimes that might be breaking even, or or whatever. But for the long-term goal, you do something to get there. And, and you know, all of our offices open. We've, we've we've done all these modeling, and the goal is on year one break even you know yeah just good gifts plant a flag
0: open the office get your foot in the door get both feet on the ground right uh, make sure that people know we're here Mm -hmm. that we're we're here to help them we're we're here to service them and we are expanding it goes without saying that in the mid 90s even into 2000s and really up until it's easy to say two years ago but five years ago design was largely conducted across the table exactly face to face and so much of this industry is predicated across that Mm -hmm. and in some sense you can't argue with it it's collaborative energy it's um it's the ability to have someone like barbara and someone like you at the table Mm -hmm. who has creative ideas while somebody else is sitting there thinking about it but you're all focused on one thing at the same time we know that story shifted a little bit recently and mm-hmm. there were some unforeseen circumstances that nobody could control and and we can talk a little bit about that at the end of this but from 99 into 2000 and then to 2010 hlb grows hlb continues to create work continue to create opportunities and there's opportunity beyond what you had probably ever even fathomed at this point but it's the brand it's the culture and it's the drive and purpose that are shifting and sending all of this in the right direction
1: and empowering people coming on board Uh, we had two tranches and and you know by 2006 we had you know i think four more principles they were associate principles i think you know people want to belong to something that they feel they're they're really part of you know it's that community sense i mean if you read about current societal problems and all that kind of stuff. You know, a lot of it comes back to community and and safety and feeling like you're
0: part of something. And that's, you know, that's really what HLB became. It became this community. Mm -hmm. I know that you don't have a thousand people working for you today. No. But there's a thousand people that have been Touch affected, worked with you within the company, the organization at some point. What was it like as you continued to grow, to bring people on, to promote them, to let them buy in, to also let people go or watch them come and go, but always empower them and have the same attitude regardless of the outcome?
1: It seemed like a natural evolution. If somebody left, well, a... There's no reason why they don't have the right to leave. If they leave, it means there's something in the culture or in the business that they're not aligned with. And it's like, that's fine. We only want people in the firm that are aligned with what we're trying to achieve. If you have some other goal in life that you're not going to achieve it with us, then please go do it. It's good for you. It's good for
0: us. What helped you recognize that?
1: Uh, it seems like common sense to me.
0: Did you ever get burned by somebody hanging around too long? Did somebody ever sit you down? I mean, common sense is a legitimate answer.
1: Sure, we've been but, burned but, but sometimes. But I'm, but I'm
0: just curious. Like, did anything pop up when you're like, "Ooh, I should think about how I handle this next
1: time"? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's an old phrase that we've developed, and it, and it sounds a little cruel, but it's not. Slow to hire, fast to fire. Right? If something is not working, just like if you have a cut, you know, deal with it right away. Right? Otherwise, it's gonna fester and get worse. But take a lot of time understanding the person and not just what they can do, but what their objectives are. Uh, you know, have those those conversations and and we make big attempts to have them understand what our culture is like. A lot of our people, and i would I would say, even even teal, they were interns with us. I think like almost all of our our, our principals are not not all of them now, but I would say eighty percent of them. And um, you know, so we
0: we built within, and building within is inherently a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, people grow. You give them opportunities. I know Barbara and I had the chance to catch up last year, and we talked about the HLB love story and how mm-hmm. a lot of your offices were actually open because you know somebody said okay i gotta go i gotta do something more with my life more important with my life that doesn't relate to work but i but i like this and i want to be a part of it and you always empowered them to say well we know how to you know, open an office, it's on you, but we'll support you and and off you go. and And you take care of all these things to the extent that the company grows and grows and grows and grows. HLB has offices from coast to coast. You obviously can take advantage of technology and everything else today. But when you look at the culture, when you look at the ability for people to learn, how did you do that? How did you keep everybody on the same page? They weren't face-to-face. It was how you did your business every day.
1: Well, we had way before COVID hit, we had already addressed the culture issue. And we recognized when when we just had three offices, maybe the fourth, but that we were becoming four separate cultures. And we recognized we had to deal with it. And there wasn't just cultures, but then how things were done and how proposals were written. And if you want to create an HLB brand, you have to have some level of unity to it, uniformity to it. So we hired some consultants and we dealt with that in uh, the mid-2000s, 2009 or something like that, eight, nine. And um, there's an old gambler's adage. You don't have to win all the time. You just have to win most of the time. And so that, yes, there are failures. We have many failures uh, in HLB, but you take care of them so they're small failures and you win the game in, in the end. Um, and, and the interesting thing is, and you evolve, you have to evolve. You know, I had talked about creating this atelier where these pure artists are cocooned in, you know, in mothership and, and, Doing they're, what they're good at, right?
0: And they never interface with a client, and You're they good, never have to run the business. And you just well, say, "You just say, come make it beautiful." Yeah,
1: right, right. That's, well, we've done a hundred eighty degree uh, reversal on that one. We have, as we made people responsible for opening offices, we made them. We said, okay, in the business plans, we have to have some numbers, and so that now we're talking about. Passing on that business information on on the ownership level, at least. So that now all the owners, uh, as they become owners, are brought on board and, and taught the ownership and how things work and and participate. And, you know, we, of course, uh, as part of keeping our culture together, uh, the owners, every Monday morning, for one hour, there'd be a conference call. Every Monday morning. And there would be an agenda for for Half an hour, and then it would be open for half an hour.
0: But that's it—just an hour.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it. And sometimes it ended up only being a half an hour. Sometimes it was two hours. But communication, talking, and it's—it's it's that old—that's that old story. If there's something bothering you, if you have a—if you have a wound, and and you don't bring it up, you don't, don't go to a doctor, or you or you harbor the feeling. The longer you harbor it the more weird apparitions happen the harder it is to talk about so the idea is you know we made a pact with ourselves to make sure that we are open and communicate
0: and you always empowered people and you always instilled that into them and as you said earlier if that didn't fit the personality of whomever was on on board on the team you welcomed their departure in in a sense of don't hurt yourself and don't hurt us any more than we have to here. Because not everybody's going to fit into every culture.
1: Right. You know, there's a little bit of sadness that it didn't work, but it's like you have to accept it. You have to accept it.
0: So fast forward to today. You've got 12 principals at HOB. There's approximately 90 people working for the firm. Uh, you're doing an incredible amount of work and you're continuing to grow It's all based off everything that we've just sat here and we've talked about. It all kind of sums up to what amounts to good leadership, to enabling people and empowering people. And it all started with you walking out the door and someone said, no, sit down. You can have half of everything that's mine.
1: You're right. (laughs) I still quote Jules on, on a lot of the things because a lot of stuff I, I learned from him. It's like he believed in me, you know, going to see uh, Gordon Bunchaft. He believed in me that, you know, I could and not just believe in me that I could own half the firm and make it more successful. But he then empowered me to do it. But he didn't say here, this is how you do it. He said, OK, you want you wanted to do this. You go ahead and do it and and um, and be good at it.
0: I've got to ask it's incredible what you have done. It's incredible that, you know, Jules had the fortitude to do what he did, uh, but it clearly enabled you to be who you are and what you've done, likewise with Barbara, with Teal, and with so many others that are now a part and an owner of the firm. You are massive in the world of lighting design absolutely gigantic okay. i mean a, a big lighting design firm arguably is maybe what 30 or 40 people and you're double that uh, most are under 10 and mm-hmm. there are hundreds if not thousands that are one or two people why the disparity why don't we have more large firms are you guys the monopoly of lighting design or is there just uh an opportunity for a 1,000 more 100-person design firms that we haven't just quite got there yet.
1: I don't think we're a monopoly at all. I think there are tons of talented lighting designers that offer different perspectives and opportunities to different kinds of work. There are different business models, and you have to understand the HLB model is a legacy model. We want the firm to continue to exist, and to continue to exist, you need growth. Because to bring new people on and, and, and then retire the, the people who've been on for a long time. That's the basic, the basic model. You know, a mom and pop shop that is one owner and um, they just like doing what they're doing and have some support staff. And every year they're putting $100,000 under the mattress, uh, you know, it, what I call a, a, a cash firm um, so that they have money for their retirement. I mean, that's a legitimate firm. That's a legitimate way of operating a business. Uh, so not everybody wants to be or needs to be, uh, a, you know, a legacy, big legacy firm. I and mean, when we chose to be a legacy firm, we had, that, we had to put that tattoo on that says growth. I mean, it's essential for a legacy firm to do that. But, you know, you can ask me the question, why did we want to be a legacy firm? To have more impact on lighting, bringing better lighting to the world is, you know, Uh, if you look at our value statements they're all all about improving the lighting environment
0: for the world for people of the world it goes back to part two of our conversation and mentorship and how it's critical and necessary and and disseminating Mm -hmm. knowledge is is the best way to continue forward a legacy does that Mm -hmm. a legacy pushes it all forward better yet a legacy of a culture of a purpose of a brand which today is hlb lighting design
1: Thank you. And I, and, I, and I hope that, you know, it, it, it becomes a voice. It's a louder voice in all of the noise that is is possibly better heard when we're having the bigger discussions about what lighting is and, and how important it is in our world.
0: I know that you and Barbara are, uh, I, I can say, officially retired, so to speak, at this mm-hmm. point. Sure. Um, but you are such advocates for not only your practice, but this profession. Lighting in general, whether it's design, representation, manufacturing, distribution, it all is a part of it. It all plays into that heightened awareness, that opportunity for light to make a difference, to impact our health, our wellness, uh, society, and so many other things. Thank you for sharing your conversation with us. Congratulations on, on an amazing career. I look forward to what both you and Barbara will do next. I know you're not leaving our industry. Nope. I know you'll have other ways to to give back, and I know you'll continue to inspire so many. Both who listen to this podcast, or maybe just you know, see your photo uh, sitting on a light pole in New York <laughs> City when I print out a hundred flyers and slap them up there. When, <laughs> <laughs> when I'm just running around having fun. Triple A lighting call. <laughs> Eight hundred. Teal, um. Teal is still at the firm. Uh, yes, and she is one of the 12 active principals. Uh, I hope that I get the chance to maybe catch up with the three of you all someday and talk about the 20 owners that you have. Good luck to you and your team. Good luck in retirement. Trying to have too much fun without me, okay?
1: Okay, well, and uh, and you know, we I think we're going to be speaking again pretty soon about a, a new engagement that we are getting involved in. So I look
0: forward to it very yeah. much. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, Stephen. We'll yeah. talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Light Pod. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor and click that like, follow, or subscribe button. That's the best way to never miss another episode where we talk to people about all things lighting who have inspirational and thought-provoking conversations to share. Until next time, cheers.